Well, good morning. I always love being at Moundsville Baptist Church, and uh, you may not believe this, I've been in Mexico with my wife this week on our uh, fifth anniversary getaway, and uh, believe it or not, I was telling my wife at the end of this past week, I said, I'm ready to get to Moundsville Baptist Church to preach. And you may believe that or you may not, but I was actually lounging in uh, a place called Tulum, underneath the sun, surrounded by palm trees, eager to get to Moundsville, West Virginia. So, God strike me down if I'm lying. (laughs) But in all seriousness, I believe that uh, the Lord has given me a word, and I think it has uh, great gravity and weightiness to it, uh, because I know that uh, Moundsville Baptist Church is in a season of transition, And today I'm going to be speaking about a concept that you don't hear about too often. But in spite of the weightiness of what I'm going to talk about, I want you to know that I believe with all my heart that the best days are ahead for Moundsville Baptist Church. And to say that about a church with the rich tradition and heritage of this church is saying something. But I believe that the leadership is in place. I believe the ministries are in place, and I believe that everything is just ripe for a great revival. And it could happen right here, but I want you to know that revival usually starts with a couple of dynamics. One is with prayer, and I'm talking about real prayer. I'm not talking about now I lay me down to sleep. I'm talking about guttural, desperate prayer. And that comes through a concept that I refer to as brokenness. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. It's not a fashionable topic. But you know, Jesus started the greatest sermon ever by saying this. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about spiritual bankruptcy. He's talking about coming before a holy God, saying, God, I have nothing. I have nothing to offer. I bring nothing to the table. All I have is you. And you tell me that you are enough. That is what I'm talking about. You know, when I was a kid, our family had a Christmas tree that stood on a plastic stand. And my family was kind of like, I mean, the prototypical, I mean, American family. We had so many ornaments that we couldn't fit them all on the tree. I mean, we had those old bubble lights. You remember those? And we had tinsel and we had ornaments. We had so much stuff that we couldn't fit it all on the tree because what we were able to fit on the tree caused the tree to lean a little bit. It couldn't even stand up straight because we had this plastic tree stand. And so it leaned. And two weeks before Christmas, 1989... My parents decided to go out, presumably Christmas shopping, and they made the very wise decision of leaving me and my brother at home alone. I presume so that we didn't see what they bought us for Christmas. And so me and my brother did what we always did when mom and dad left the house. We wrestled. And as I was defending the WWF Heavyweight Championship belt against my brother... I had him down and ready to pin. 
And so I decided that I was going to finish him off by climbing on top of the couch and doing a flying elbow, just like Randy Macho Man Savage. And I did it. And as I connected with my brother's chest, I mean with a beautiful elbow, I heard something go snap. But I didn't have time to pay attention to what that was. I pinned him. I hooked his leg. One, two, three. And I defended the WWF Heavyweight Championship. And as I was celebrating and doing the Hulkamania poses to the crowd that wasn't really watching, I looked over and our tree that leaned was actually fully leaning against the wall. What had happened was... I had somehow connected with the tree while I connected with my brother, and that plastic tree stand snapped. And as you can imagine, when Mom and Dad got home, we both got in trouble, and I got a whooping. (laughs) But an interesting thing happened. After that, my Mom and Dad went to the store, and they got another tree stand. A tree stand made of glass. And they put our Christmas tree on this new stand. And for the first time in years, we were able to put every single ornament that we had on that tree. And you know, I look back on that scenario, and I didn't like to get whippings. But God taught me something very profound through that simple experience. You know, that plastic tree stand might have been broken, but there was something that, very, that was very beautiful that resulted from that broken tree stand. And you know, it's the exact same way with us as Christians. When we allow God to break us, something very beautiful results from brokenness. Something beautiful in the kingdom of God always comes from something that's broken. And I'm going to tell you something that I know about each and every person that is in this congregation this morning. We might have on the tie and the jacket and the shiny shoes, and we might have our hair in place, and we might be standing up And we might know all the words to the songs. And we can put on a good face. But every single one of us, folks, we are messed up people. That's why we need the Lord and that's why we need each other. There is nobody here who has it all together. Not one person. And I count myself chief among sinners. And you know, life is full of situations that cause us great pain. And I know that because we are in the midst of a very difficult transition season as a church, that we need to pray for our church leaders, but we also need to pray for each other. And I think that the the thing that God is calling Moundsville Baptist Church to, above anything else, is a willingness to be broken. Now, 
That's not something that you hear about very often. And it's not something that we ever really experience. I mean, the crescendo of all of our worship services, we sing songs, we pray, we hear a word, and we come to an invitation. And it has never failed. In all the times that I've ever preached here at Moundsville Baptist Church, there's been one person that has walked up to me to either ask for prayer or to pray with me, and that's Ron Price. I don't know if I have ever, ever in my time at Moundsville Baptist Church seen genuine spiritual brokenness. Have you? Have you? I wonder what would happen if we were to get very, very solemn and serious just for a few moments and consider what would happen if we were to set aside our dignity and set aside the the counterfeit appearances that sometimes we can portray to people and we were to just allow a holy God to do what He desires to do within us and amongst us. You know, Charles Spurgeon once said, when God wants to do an impossible task, He takes an impossible man and breaks him. You know, there's many paradoxes in the Christian life. Uh, for instance, the way up is down. You've heard Proverbs 16:18 quoted to you several times. It said, pride comes before a fall. But the Bible also says that when you humble yourself before the Lord, in James 4.10, He lifts you up. And so the way up is down. That's a paradox. There's another paradox in the Bible. You never really live until you die. Until a man is ready to die, he's not really ready to live. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, but it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Colossians 3.3 said, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so another paradox, you never really live until you die. But as we come to this passage of Scripture this morning about blind Bartimaeus, we see another paradox of the Christian life, and that's this. Wholeness comes through brokenness. If you want to be whole in God, you must enter into that wholeness through brokenness. You have to allow God to shatter you. You've got to put off the pretense. You've got to put off the play acting. You've got to put off any hypocrisy that may be there. And you just have to come before God completely honest. God, I have nothing to offer you. I am a filthy, wretched sinner. But you, for some reason, love me and I'm willing to just receive what you have to offer. I bring nothing to the table. All I have is you. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12.9, actually it was Jesus who said it to Paul, who said, my grace is sufficient for you. And here we have another paradox. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, God uses broken things all throughout the Bible. In Judges chapter 7, He takes broken pictures and makes light shine out. In Psalm 51, he takes the broken will and the broken spirit of King David and he brings comfort to a shattered kingdom. 
He took a broken box in Mark, in Mark chapter 14. And ointment was poured out on our Lord and Savior's feet. Jesus took broken bread in Matthew 14 and John chapter 6 and fed thousands of hungry people. And Jesus Himself took His own broken body and He chose to save sinners like you and me. And as we come to Mark chapter 10, we see that God uses a blind and broken beggar named Bartimaeus to show us a very profound elementary truth of Christianity. He shows us the beauty of being broken. And so I want to lay three truths about brokenness on your heart this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture together. And the first thing that I want to show you is found in verse 46. And here we see that brokenness is marked by the despair of life. Look at verse 46. It said, Now they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Now what we have here is Jesus on his way to Jerusalem for the very last time, and he comes to the city of Jericho. But he's not by himself. His disciples are with him, and he has a great multitude following him. And so what we have is Jesus Christ superstar with all kinds of people in tow saying, Ah, oh, I wonder what he's going to do next. I wonder what he's going to do next. Now, Jericho had the ancient title, the City of Palm Trees. And it's interesting that I came back from Mexico this week. I saw all kinds of palm trees. And as I was contemplating this sermon, I was thinking, wow. Because when you think about a lot of the cities that Jesus went to in ancient Israel, we think about deserts and we think about dusty roads. But Jesus actually was in a place at Jericho that was very lush. It had very rich and moist soil. It had a lot of palm trees. And so it was kind of like a paradise in the midst of a desert. In fact, uh, some ancient uh, writers described it as a lush green oasis in the midst of the desert. And you know, there's great symbolic significance here because... Great spiritual outpourings took place in this city all throughout the Bible. I mean, think about all the things that went down in Jericho. The walls of Jericho came down in Joshua chapter 6. In 2 Kings chapter 2, Elisha miraculously uh, healed the waters of Jericho. In Nehemiah chapter 3, the men of Jericho helped rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And in Luke chapter 19, Jesus saved a wee little man named Zacchaeus while traveling through Jericho. You see, in the midst of this spiritual desert known as ancient Israel, a lot of miraculous things happened in Jericho. And I want you to know that you might be in the midst of a spiritual desert right here at Moundsville Baptist Church, but the Spirit of God can pour Himself Himself out on us if we are willing to receive what He has to offer. But there are always conditions to God pouring out His Spirit upon us, and it starts with brokenness. It starts with spiritual bankruptcy. And we come to this setting of this very lush city, and as Jesus is traveling with his disciples in a great crowd, they see on the side of, a road, of the road a man named Bartimaeus. 
And we learn two things about Bartimaeus in verse 46. We learn about his infirmity, and we learn about his identity. Now, what was his infirmity? He was a blind man. He had no sight. And so here was a man who was blind, and his livelihood, because he was blind, was dependent upon the mercy and generosity of other people. Think about the spiritual symbolism of this man. Here's a man who could not fend for himself, and he was utterly dependent upon the mercy and the grace of other people. You see, from a spiritual perspective, we need to get to a place like Bartimaeus. We have to realize that when we come to church on Sunday mornings, we are not doing God any favors. We come not because we think that, oh, I'm going to do something great for God today. No. We come to church with pure motives when we come because we say, oh, God, I need you. God doesn't need us, but we need Him. We are utterly dependent upon His mercy and grace. And so the infirmity of Bartimaeus was his blindness. But we see something else here. We also see his identity. He was called Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Do you see any similarities there? Bartimaeus was a man who didn't even have his own name. That prefix bar means son of. If you'll remember in the Gospels, uh, Jesus one time referred to uh, Simon Peter as Simon Bar-Jonah, meaning Simon, son of Jonah. So here's a man, Bartimaeus, who doesn't even have his own name. He was called the son of Timaeus. Now imagine you're having a conversation with somebody, and I'm like, Dave, what's your dad's name? Chuck. All right, so if I'm talking uh, to Dave here, but I say, How you doing, son of Chuck? What have you been doing, son of Chuck? Oh, you know, I was talking with the son of Chuck, and me and the son of Chuck went out to have dinner, and uh, me and the son of Chuck uh, went to pray together. I mean, it's, it's like he doesn't even have his own identity. His identity is found in someone else. So here's a man who not only has a physical infirmity, but he's got a compromised identity. He doesn't even have his own name. He's just simply referred to as the son of Timaeus. Imagine how he perceived other people's concern or lack thereof for his condition. He was simply referred to as the son of Timaeus. And so this man's terrible circumstances made him ripe for brokenness. Claire Booth Luce once said, There are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. You see, brokenness is marked by the despair of life. You and I face situations very similar to Bartimaeus on a regular basis throughout our lives. You can look at the situation here at Moundsville Baptist Church and you can say, Oh, Boy, we're really in a mess. But you know what that really provides for us? It provides an opportunity for us to say, God, I don't have the answers, 
I know nobody else has the answers either. But God, I just present myself to You. And God, You do what You will. You know what I've learned in my life? And it's, it has led to many breakthroughs in my own personal life. I've learned that broken people have no sense of entitlement. And if you think about the problems that occur in many churches, it's always because somebody doesn't get their way. Or somebody thinks that this ought to go this way, or this ought to happen this way, or I think this, or I feel this. Rather than saying, God, what do you have to say about the issue? I trust in your sovereignty. You're in control. And rather than looking at our situation, we ought to be looking at His sovereignty. Do you remember when you got saved? I'll tell you what. You can almost certainly determine the authenticity of your salvation by looking at what happened when you got saved. If you weren't broken... I would encourage you to re-examine the authenticity of your salvation. Because we enter the kingdom of God as spiritual beggars, spiritually bankrupt, with nothing to offer God whatsoever. And I can remember on a cold winter's night in February of 1993, I can remember kneeling down at an altar and staining that carpet with my tears because I had nothing to offer God. It was spiritual brokenness. And broken people have no sense of entitlement. And I'm just going to lay it on the line for you. If you're here today and you have been complaining to your leadership, if you're here today and you think that things ought to go this way, and all you're doing is sounding your mouth about what's wrong with this church rather than trying to be part of the solution, very respectfully but very firmly, and I'm not going to back down on this, sir, ma'am, you need to repent. Because it is not about what I want. It's not about what you want. It's all about Him. And broken people have no sense of entitlement. And a church can only function in unity and harmony when we all collectively come to that realization. Lord, I bring nothing to the table. And I want you to know, just to be quite frank with you, I have been the source of church problems before. And I pray to God that hopefully I've been part of some church solutions at some point in my life. But you know the beauty of being broken is simply the fact that when we repent, when we come before God naked, before the throne, and we have nothing to hide, and God sees us in our brokenness. He always sees us with open arms. And no Christian worth his or her salt will ever see you broken and make fun of you. There might be people, if you allow yourself to be broken, who might wonder, well, what's going on in their life? That'll always happen. You know what you got to do? You just got to get over yourself and dismiss that. Because I'll tell you what, any Christian with any spiritual maturity at all, when they see somebody broken, deep in their heart, they rejoice. 
If you were to see somebody walk down the aisle, I mean, broken by their sin, and you were to see them just kneel down and pray to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, I mean, what kind of arrogance, what kind of spiritual dysfunction would say, well, look at that idiot up there crying in front of all these people. No. I mean, if somebody says that, you know what you need to do? You need to go have a long talk with that individual and just guide them along so that they can understand spiritual things, right? But brokenness is marked by the despair of life. We've all got issues. None of us have anything figured out. Bartimaeus was blind. He didn't even have his own identity. And you and I have our own problems, our own pain. And the only solution to that is to give it to the Lord and say, Lord, I come before you just as I am. Without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Amen. Brokenness is marked by the despair of life. J.I. Packer referred to this very dynamic in his 1986 book entitled, Your Father Loves You. Listen to what he said. He said, grace is God drawing sinners closer and closer to him. How does God in grace prosecute this purpose? Not by shielding us from assault by the world, the flesh, and the devil, nor by protecting us from burdensome and frustrating circumstances. Not yet by shielding us from troubles created by our own temperament and psychology, but rather by exposing us to all these things, so as to overwhelm us with a sense of our own inadequacy and to drive us to cling to Him more closely. This is the ultimate reason from our standpoint why God fills our lives with troubles and perplexities of one sort and another. It is to ensure that we shall learn to hold Him fast. The reason why the Bible spends so much of its time reiterating that God is a strong rock, a firm defense, and a sure refuge and help for the weak is that God spends so much of His time showing us that we are weak both mentally and morally, and dare not trust ourselves to find or to follow the right road. That'll preach. I mean, Packer gets it. He understands that we have nothing to bring to the table. And I want you to know, folks, that despair is often the catalyst that God uses to induce a broken heart and to break us from our pride, our preferences, our self-sufficiency, and our self-dependence. Brokenness is marked by the despair of life. And so my question to you this morning is, what is causing you the greatest despair in your life? That, my friends, is not your obstacle. That is your opportunity. That is what I encourage you to lay on the altar this morning. Brokenness is marked by the despair of life. Now, as we come to the next two verses, we see a second truth about brokenness. And here we see that brokenness is magnified by the desire for liberation. You see, whenever we are faced with despair, what do we want to happen? Well, we want our situation... To be fixed, right? I mean, Bartimaeus was blind. So what do you think that he wanted God to do for him? Help him see, right? 
Well, that's what we would think if we looked at it through a carnal lens. But there's an even more fundamental desire that we all have, and we might not even know it. Let's look at verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet. Isn't that like a bunch of Christians? Somebody cries out to Jesus and they say, Now shut up, shut up. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now here we have a man completely broken that has no dignity left. Here's a man who is ripe for a miracle. When you have no dignity left, then God will work in your life. I'm talking about being abandoned to a Savior who wants everything about you. He doesn't just want you on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. He wants you every second of every day. He wants everything that you have to offer, and He wants you to put it all on the table. See, broken people have no sense of dignity left. They aren't embarrassed because they no longer worship the idol of self or the idol of perception or the idol of appearances. Broken people don't have to keep up appearances. They have nothing to keep up. All to Him I surrender. All to Him I freely give. See, broken people don't have any sense of dignity or entitlement. And so broken people cry out to Jesus without any sense of shame at all. It's interesting because this phrase, translated cry out, is a Greek word that means to cry out loudly with an urgent scream or shriek, or to use inarticulate shouts expressing deep emotion. When Emily and I were in Mexico this past week, there was this couple, and everywhere they went, this woman would walk up, and she would grunt to people. She would go, oh, like that. And me and Emily were like, what's this woman doing? I mean, is there maybe some sort of challenge that she has? We didn't understand it. Finally, we realized this woman is deaf. She's just making the only sound she knows how to make. And you see, when we are broken before God, sometimes the only thing we can do, we're so broken we can't even use words. We just come before God and we can't even talk. That's how broken I'm talking about getting. I'm talking about being so broken before God that maybe we can't even articulate words. I don't know, maybe I'm preaching over your head, but I'm telling you, this is the secret to breakthrough. This is the secret to revival. This is what causes God to look down and pour Himself out on people. It's not when we come to church with dignity. It's not when we have it all together. It's when we are so broken we have no dignity. This man was so desperate that he didn't even cry out words. He shrieked the words, Son of David, have mercy on me! And don't miss the significance of this phraseology. You would think that a man who was blind, what was his greatest need? Sight. That's what you would think. But notice, before he ever asks Jesus to fix his situation, he first asks Jesus 
to forgive his sin. He doesn't say, Son of David, give me sight. He says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Every one of us, if we were to be gut-level honest this morning, we have sin that needs to be dealt with. Every one of us. We have something that we're seeking a breakthrough on. We have something that we haven't fully given over to God. Wouldn't you agree? If you wouldn't agree, I would say that you're fibbing. Blind Bartimaeus was begging on the side of the road while the Lord's people were missing out on the needs of others. Who would you say was closer to Jesus in this entire scenario? Was it his disciples who were walking beside him? Was it the crowd who was following, waiting breathlessly in anticipation for what the Lord was going to do next? I submit to you that the man closest to the Lord in this entire passage of Scripture was the man broken on the side of the road who saw his need for forgiveness. See, you never outgrow the fundamental truth of the gospel. And that is that a holy God is willing to forgive sin. And my sin being forgiven is the greatest need that I possess. Your external circumstances are the least of your problems if your heart is compromised. We must approach Jesus on His terms, and that is with a repentant heart. When was the last time that Moundsville Baptist Church saw people in the pews flood to the altar during an invitation. I'm going to go ahead and lay it out on the line for you. I wish during the invitation this morning people would flood to this altar. But I can't make you do it. And I'll be honest with you. If you don't come to this altar, it won't surprise me in the least. But if you don't come to this altar, I'll tell you that shows me everything that I need to know about how much you're seeking God corporately. And that's all I'll say about that. What happens after Bartimaeus cries for help in verse 48? The people following Jesus try to shut him up and push him to the side. Mark 10:48 is the worst example of evangelism that I have ever read in the New Testament. Somebody seeking Jesus, and God's people say, Now shut up, shut up. Don't cause a scene. Don't you know that this is the Lord we're talking about here? Don't you know that this is a dignified place of worship? Well, my question to you is, if it's dignified, is it really worship? I'm not, I mean, the Bible says that things in God's house should be done decently and in order. So I don't think we ought to be like Pentecostals swinging from chandeliers and speaking in unknown languages and gibberish. But I do think there's a sense of abandon that is required for authentic worship to take place. You see? 
I mean, if, if most of us haven't even shed tears in a worship service, can we even say we've been close to authentic New Testament worship? I mean, when we behold the majesty of a holy God, we ought to be overcome with a sense of our own inadequacy and a sense of amazement that this God would reach down and love someone like me. Wow. Why would anyone refuse the needy for the sake of decorum? Does that make sense? Thank God for the end of the verse, though. Notice at the end of verse 48 what it says. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more and said, Son of David, have mercy on me. You see, brokenness is a spiritual state that is conducive for mountain-moving faith. Only when you reach the end of yourself and the end of your self-reliance and the end of your self-sufficiency and the end of your self-dependence is God able to move in your life in a miraculous, mountain-moving way. But you have to abandon all preference. You have to abandon all. Brokenness is magnified by the desire for liberation. Are you so sick of the status quo that you'll do anything, even lose your dignity and risk making a fool of yourself in total embarrassment just to get His attention? I'm telling you, when Jesus passes through and he sees someone broken, there's something that magnetically draws his eye. If you think that Jesus passing through is going to pay attention to somebody with well-pressed slacks and a dignified attitude, you don't know the Jesus of the New Testament. The Jesus of the New Testament is like a hound dog looking for somebody broken. Ready to do whatever it takes to see something supernatural take place. I'm telling you, this is good preaching. I mean, this this is transformative here, folks. Now, let me ask you a gut-level question. And I want you to answer this question. I'm not going to tell you to be quiet. Do we really, the way we do church here most of the time, Do we really reflect the desperation of blind Bartimaeus? Some of y'all are afraid to say no. And that tells me you may not be as desperate as you ought to be. I'm telling you, and I don't presume to speak for your leadership, but I believe I know their hearts. If the people of Moundsville Baptist Church would get desperate for revival, they would support you 100%. They would. They would fight to the ends of the earth for you to experience the liberation you desire. Folks, we need a desperate revival rooted in spiritual brokenness. We really need that. Well, let's wrap up this passage of Scripture in this sermon with a third point. Brokenness is marked by the despair of life. Brokenness is magnified by the desire for liberation. But folks, I want you to see that brokenness is mended by dependence on the Lord.
Notice what happened. Blind Bartimaeus says, Son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody cries out, Shut up, shut up, shut up. Don't make a scene. And he just redoubles his efforts and says, Son of David, have mercy on me. And verse 49 says, And Jesus stood still. Jesus was frozen in his tracks by a man who was willing to cry out with reckless abandon. What moves the hand of God? Desperation. What made Jesus stand still? Brokenness. You and I don't place too high of a premium on broken things. If you've got a broken fishing rod, you probably put it on eBay or Craigslist. If you've got a broken car, you may want to trade it in. If you've got a broken Bible, you may... Go to the bookstore and buy another one. What does God do with His broken vessels? He makes them whole. And He makes them better than they were before. Only God. I thank God that He did that for me. He reached way below the bottom for someone like me. You can't come to God with your life fixed up. God has to fix you. Jesus notices the true intent of your heart. And if you truly desire Him, He will respond to your cries for help. Jesus Christ has never shunned a truly repentant heart. If your heart is broken today, I can promise you that He will fix it. Notice what happens after Jesus stands still in verse 49. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. Well, this is sort of a nice change of pace. People who were telling him to shut up, don't make a scene, are all of a sudden saying, Hey, buddy, cheer up, Jesus wants to talk to you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. Now, there's symbolism all throughout this passage of Scripture. We see it in Jericho. Uh, We see it in the person of Bartimaeus, who's a spiritual symbol of how we're to approach God. And then we see a symbolic gesture, Bartimaeus throwing aside his garment. And this is a symbolic gesture of Bartimaeus throwing off his old man and coming to Jesus to receive a new person, to receive a transformed life, to receive a transformed soul. Bartimaeus was forsaking all to follow Christ in accordance with the teaching that Jesus had already given in Mark 8, 34. Whosoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What does Jesus ask Bartimaeus in verse 51? What do you want me to do for you? (laughs) Wouldn't you like Jesus to come down to Moundsville Baptist Church this morning and say, Folks, what do you want me to do for you? Imagine that. I mean, wouldn't you love for Jesus to look you in the eye and ask you that? What an amazing experience. The only one Jesus asked that question to was the man who was broken. How would you answer Jesus if he asked you that very same question? 
Would you ask for a bigger house? Would you ask for a better job? Would you ask for external blessings? What would you ask for? See, how you answer that question reveals the status of your spiritual condition. Now, what happens to Bartimaeus in verse 52? Then Jesus said, the blind man uh, said to him, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. And then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. And so we see here in verse 52 that blind Bartimaeus in this passage of Scripture was healed physically and spiritually. But it was because he prioritized his spiritual condition first. And then he got the rest added unto him later on. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. You see, if, you, if your aim is for this world, you lose everything. But if your aim is for the kingdom of God, you get the rest of the world thrown in for free. Unfortunately, many people who stubbornly refuse brokenness suffer a terrible fate. Many people go through life and never obey the gospel. They have no use for the church. They do not support it either with their money or their presence. Yet when they die, they want their body taken to a church building that they did not help build. They want songs sung from books they never helped buy. They want a preacher that they never helped to support, to quote from the Bible that they never respected enough to read, sweet words of comfort and consolation to their loved ones, and preach their souls into a heaven that they never prepared themselves to live in. Isn't that peculiar? British violinist Peter Cropper was once honored by the Royal Academy of Music in London when they let him borrow a priceless 258-year-old Stradivarius violin. Every violinist dreams about playing such an instrument. But a terrible thing happened while Cropper was performing in Finland. He tripped and he fell on top of that Stradivarius violin. And it broke. Copper's dream was suddenly and inexplicably turned into a horrible nightmare. He was inconsolable. He went through a short period of depression, and then suddenly a London violin dealer told him about a master craftsman who could repair the Stradivarius violins. The craftsman's repairs were so perfect that they could not even be seen and the soaring notes of the instrument ended up being more beautiful than they had ever been before, all because the broken parts were placed in the hands of a master craftsman who then applied his healing touch. Folks, you and I are just like that Stradivarius violin. In the eyes of God, our souls are priceless. But it's only when we are willing to place our broken souls into the hands of the master craftsman that we can then be made completely, fully, and absolutely whole. And that, my friends, is the beauty of being broken. Let's stand together this morning. I want to ask you if you would, as 
this hymn of invitation is being played to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to give you a chance to respond to the movement of the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life. All you have to do is have enough spiritual sensitivity to know that God is dealing with your heart. And if He is dealing with your heart, I invite you to come to this altar and kneel down and pray to Him. In accordance with 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you.